Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. It is so good to be with every single one of you. Uh, my name, for those of you who are maybe visiting for the first time or the first time in a long time, uh, is Greg. It's Greg McKinney. My wife and I are the lead pastors here at Glory Church. You can call me Greg. You can call me Pastor Greg. You can call me whatever you want, as long as you look at me and I know that it's you, you me you're talking to. All right, I'll try to answer. But it's so good to have you. I am excited. I'm a little bit of a, um, whew, a Christmas lover. Any Christmas lovers in the room? Well, you have walked into um, week two of a Christmas series that we've been calling Advent. Uh, and Advent is, is a very, hopefully a familiar word with some, maybe others of you. It's not so familiar, but Advent in and of itself is a beautiful time in church history. Uh, it's a beautiful time, so we're going to get into that this morning, but I want to uh, share with you and remind some of you of what is to come. Many of you know uh, this is only our third week here in the gym, um, and, and I'm excited and honored to be able to be down here and spread out more, so keep those invites going. We will make sure chairs are spread. We can keep going back, and I'm excited. We could put that, lift that whole center uh, curtain if we need to, and so I, let me just set that vision for you. All right, we have room down here here to grow. But we are um, a rather new church, and about two months ago, we, we let you guys know on uh, a bittersweet news of, of Colin, our worship director, who, who has uh, been with us literally since the beginning, has helped us through a lot of this. He, not only in the past two months, has gotten married, uh, which is awesome, uh, and he's here with us, but uh, also he let us know, and we let you guys know that uh, he has been stepping out of, uh, of leading in a, a more leadership role here at, at Glory. So uh, you know that we've been sort of sharing leadership. And I just want to say all of this because Sunday, December 20th, we are going to both celebrate that man, celebrate the staff, celebrate the year with him and all that God has done through him and uh, send him off. That's his last Sunday to lead. But then I also wanted to let you know uh, that the 27th, our home service, uh, which I'm really excited about, all right, we are going to make some some gift bags for you or boxes, I guess, so that we can mail. So make sure you RSVP for that, that online service. Um, but I'm really excited because it'll be the first time uh, you will get to meet our new uh, worship and creative director, which you got to hear for her, from her a little bit uh, this morning already. Gabby Marte is her name. You'll get to hear and meet her more and more as the time go on. Uh, so we are working with a shared leadership from now, and then uh, the baton will be passed on the 20th. Uh, and I'm excited for what God is going to do. This morning, though, we are in week two. I'm going to move this back because I know I will trip. It will happen. Um, yep. But we are in week two of our Advent series, and uh, if you know anything, this is historically on the church calendar. Advent comes every year. It's the, the, the four Sundays before Christmas morning. And the beautiful thing about Advent is that it both tracks along with where the Hebrew people were, which you heard a little bit this morning, where they were as they were waiting for this Messiah to come, and they had to wait with anticipation, with hope, 
But it also parallels with us because if 2020 has taught us anything, it's that we need a savior, right? There is some bad in this world that needs to be rewritten, healed. There is some, uh, there is sickness, there's plagues, there's anger, there's bitterness. There is ill-spirited sin in this world. And it needs a savior. And so we are in an Advent season as well, just waiting for Jesus to come. And so if you were with us, you know now that there are four key tenets to Advent. It's hope, peace, joy, and love. And I'm really excited because if you were with us last week, we dove into hope. And you'll discover that if you missed any of these weeks, you can catch up on our website, the Glory Podcast. But what you will see is that these weeks are cyclical. That for some reason, God has uh, united us in this way, that he gives us hope. And then as hope is born in us, this immense amount of peace comes, completion. We start feeling whole, even if it's a not yet, right? Even if we're still waiting to be fully redeemed or we're still waiting on this side of heaven, we have peace. And then that peace spurs within us joy. It's very cyclical. And then joy abounds in us to the point where we spread love. And so last week we talked about hope, an active hope. And this morning we have the word peace. 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 Now, I don't know what your relationship with is with this word, but uh, if you will do me the honor, we're going to dive into peace a little bit this morning because Isaiah writes, and, and this is really powerful. I was talking with someone literally this week about the beauty of the Old Testament uniting with the New Testament, but Isaiah writes of the coming Messiah. He's a prophet hundreds of years before Jesus, you know, that cute little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Isaiah writes this and calls that baby soon to be a man, calls him the prince of peace. You know that, that text, right, right? He will be a prince of peace, that literally what he will do, his rule will usher in peace. It'll usher in peace that his authority, as it expands, so does the feeling of peace. In fact, I know this to be true because when Jesus came, born of a virgin, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, a whole angel army came to the shepherds and said what? Peace was on earth, right? Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Peace was on earth. For the first time, very incarnate, in person, peace was on earth. And it's beautiful that as this keeps happening, I don't, and I don't know what your feelings to that word are, I mean, goodness, it might be inclined with uh, how your morning has been. Maybe your morning hasn't been very peaceful. And so when I say peace was on earth and and that's uh, something possible for you, maybe you feel a little overwhelmed by that. Or maybe it doesn't feel it's a foreign thought for you or possibly it's not maybe fitting with your current situation or your home life. Maybe the way that your kids have been acting or where your marriage is right now. Peace does not feel very present. Maybe your heart and mind can't fathom that peace is possible. Well, I'm sitting with you, all right? We've all been here. We've all been there, and yet at this moment, we're diving into peace, this word. And so if you'll do me the honor, we're going to get into it a little bit more. The word peace is called, in Hebrew, is shalom. Can everyone say shalom with me? Ready? Shalom. That was weak. We're going to do this. Look to your neighbor and say shalom. There we go. Shalom. That is a Hebrew word, and it doesn't mean the absence of war, and it, doesn't also, it also doesn't just mean like serenity like we would see peace as, like I want a peaceful situation. 
That's not what shalom means. Shalom means wholeness. Shalom means fullness. That when the prince of peace came, he was the prince of shalom. So when he came, he ushered in completion where there wasn't. He ushered in healing where there wasn't. He ushered in wholeness. And he still does today. This is the peace that we are talking about. And it's beautiful because uh, as we get into what that piece does for us, I want to share a little bit of a nostalgic uh, time with you. Those of you who were with us uh, when we, before we launched, maybe uh, some in the room, some not, about a little over a year ago, my wife and I sat in front of our core team before we ever launched Glory Church, and we listed out what we would be versus what we won't be as a church, what our core values are, what will define us as a church, and what won't. And we uh, talked that day about this formula to peace. Some of you, this will be a a little recall. Others, this will be new um, to you. But I want to say at the get-go this formula because it is going to be seen not only in the story of Jesus. It's going to be seen not only as we talk about the Prince of Peace and what he's done personally, but this is what will push us to spread that kind of peace out. So here is the formula. Uh, If you want to put that slide up, chaos known plus chaos owned equals peace shown. Maybe you remember that a long time ago. I haven't used this in a while, and maybe this is the perfect time too, but it it might be confusing, but we're going to leave it up here while I explain this a little bit, that when chaos is known and truly known, uh, the kind of experiential knowing, and it's owned, taken responsibility of that chaos, then that is when peace can be shown because often we may know chaos, but we don't have the authority or the power to own it like Jesus does. But think of the Prince of Peace. He is not this distant God who knew chaos from the, from the heavens, right? He's not this God who stayed up in the heavens while we just kept go spiraling down. No, he chose to know it, right? He knew sleepless nights, tiredness, the sting of betrayal. He knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to live in chaos. He knew what it was like to to have to wonder where he was going to sleep, yet also trust that he would have a place. He knew what it was like to be hurt. He knew chaos. But not only that, Jesus went so far to know it in the lives of those around him. I need you to hear this. He went to the uh, adulterous woman and chose to know chaos. He went to the tax collectors, the sinners, the outcasts, and chose to know it. But we also know he chose to take ownership of it. Jesus would accept their questions and answer them. He would take their issue and heal he would mend problems. He'd call out the, the, issue, the issues. He said, this is my responsibility. And ultimately on the cross, he took upon your chaos and owned it, right? Like it was nailed to him. So I can say clearly, Jesus has known my chaos of my past. Jesus has owned my chaos of the past and he has brought me peace, Right, I think we could all say that in a beautiful way, but we will see this over and over and over that very personally, if you're a believer in the room, it's because you were known by a savior who chose at the right time to die for the ungodly. He chose to love you despite your sin. And not only that, he decided to take ownership of it on the cross. Very personally, you have peace and the ability to it. Because we have a savior who chose to know and own our chaos, our war, our issue, our failures, our wrongdoings. And I can remember, uh, I'll I'll say it this way while you read 
this, uh, I remember a time when I had a conversation with a, a young woman who had been adopted by her family uh, into America from Ethiopia as a child. And at this age, she's now much older. She's a young woman now, and we're having a conversation, and she is having a hard time in this conversation with the person Jesus, submitting authority to him. She's having a hard time seeing him. She's having a hard time believing that he cares and is real. And in the conversation, uh, she, she's feeling tension with her adopted family, tension with her ethnicity, tension with her past, tension with her friends, just struggling all around. And I remember in this conversation, just God gave me the word peace. And I was like, what's your relationship with peace like? And I don't know, maybe it's peace. And so in this conversation, we just started praying uh, and started wording out what would it look like for you, young woman, to uh, daily pray for peace. Months passed, and a guest speaker came to our church, and uh, he taught on the beautiful story in the Gospels when uh, the uh, eunuch, Ethiopian eunuch, was writing, reading the, uh, the, the Isaiah's words And he was reading Isaiah's words about this coming Messiah who would be pierced for our transgressions. And he didn't understand it. And Peter comes to this Ethiopian eunuch and shares that he is the outcast it's speaking of. In that day, he gave his life to the Lord and they were baptized. And uh, he was baptized. And so in this service, I'm like watching and it's just paralleled. She came up to me afterwards crying and said, for the first time, I felt Jesus saying, I know you. I was that Ethiopian eunuch, but I, you know, like I, that's, I didn't know he knew me like that. And it just instantly clicked that her chaos in, in, in an instant was known, owned, and peace was shown. This is the beauty of what you and I have access to daily. And Gabby led us in a song this morning about his glory revealed. In that room for the first time in a long time, her glory or God's glory was revealed to her, right? Like in, the, in a first time in a long time. And so I actually want to read with you the starting of that passage. Because if we're going to figure out what chaos known plus chaos owned looks like in our life, we're going to have to start from the beginning of this because God knew what he was doing when he told Isaiah to speak this. So it's from Isaiah 40. We're going to get in verse 1. And it says this, comfort my people. And he says it twice, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity, her sins are pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Uh, Scripture uh, historians would say that upon Jesus, double of her sins, what she should have, what Jerusalem should have gotten for all of our iniquities, all of our failures were paid on Jesus, that he received double for our sins, pierced for our transgressions. And so comfort, it says. And this is a call for those who lead to speak this, to speak this into people's lives. But he continues, Isaiah writes a command to the people and a powerful one. One that would literally be shown by a messenger in the Gospels. And so we'll get there. Maybe some of you who who love the Gospel story of Jesus, you'll know this next section. Verse 3, it continues. It says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be lifted up and every mountain will be made low and all the uneven ground will become level. 
Can you go to that, that slide for us? All the un, uh, uneven ground should become level and the rough places plain, a plain. He says, a voice cries in the desert, the wilderness, prepare a way. And this is beautiful. If you know, historically, there was a crazy man named John the Baptist. Anyone know the, the story of John the Baptist? He was actually Jesus's cousin. And early on in Luke, you see him coming and he's yelling, make a way for the Lord, prepare a way for the Lord. And, and this is a beautiful showing of what this looked like practically. He prepared a way for the Lord. But you and I, as we get into this, this is also a charge for us. That there is chaos to be known in your day and chaos to be owned in your day. That as we do that, we make way, as it says, we prepare the way of the Lord. We prepare the way of the Lord. For those of you who are the Aladdin lovers in the room, uh, I did this in staff meeting and they were like, you're crazy, Greg. Uh, But the Aladdin lovers in the room, you know, the whole make way for Prince Ali, right? This is literally the we usher, we make way for the Prince of Peace. And don't worry, I won't sing that. Uh, I'll save your ears. But that is what it means. We usher in the coming Prince of Peace. We make way for Prince of Peace. And so if you want to take notes this morning, I would love for you to write this down, that making way for peace is both personal and personal purposeful. And I use that for, it's both personal. I will tell you, some of you believers, you, you love, and this is me at times, we love doing things external of ourselves. We love fixing our house. We love fixing people's problems. We love being the fixer. We love uh, uh, coming in when a friend is in need, and we love doing things external to ourselves. But peace, peace is personal. And there are some times when uh, we do a whole lot of fixing a- outside and don't realize that the peace of Christ flows from inside and out. And so it's very personal that Jesus speaks tenderly to his church and says, I need you to make a way. The valleys need to be lifted. The mountains lowered. Uneven places need to be leveled. And there are times when we need to realize that peace has to flow through us. And then it's purposeful. And I was very clear on this. I wanted the little dash there because it is full of purpose. At the moment, peace changes and transforms us. We now have a purpose to show it. We cannot help but be full of purpose once peace comes into our life. And so we're going to dive into this a little bit because if peace is personal, then that means that I need to take ownership of the times where my peace is lacking. Did you hear that? If peace is supposed to be personal, then you are to take ownership, authority, the authority that Christ has given you, to take responsibility of when your peace is not there. So we have to pause. So I actually want to do something a little crazy. As we get into what you know, it looks like to share peace, I think we need to get to what it looks like to experience peace for ourselves. And so let's go back to this little passage. Can you put that passage back of the, what, what Isaiah is telling, that coming Savior, a voice cries in the wilderness passage? Should be the next one. Yes, a voice cries in the wilderness. I actually want to keep this up. Because Isaiah, God knew what he was doing when he told these areas. Because if you notice, there is a, a few different vantage points going on in this passage. I mean, I'll look at it. There's the word wilderness. There's the word desert. There's the word valley, mountain. There's uneven ground. There's rough places. And I don't know about you, but my peace is shot when I am at one of those places. 
And so if we are to personally experience peace, then we have to take ownership when we are in one of those places. We have to take ownership of noticing it. So I'm going to explain it a little bit as you go down. There are times, and so for some of you, there's a reason that God speaks of the desert. Because I wrote this down, there is a time when my peace is absent because I am in a valley, a desert of my own making. When maybe you have been struggling with timidity, confidence, when you're struggling with, uh, with uh, who you are. When you're overwhelmed with discouragement, heavy with fears, lies, you're stuck in negative cycles, I will tell you, you can try to have peace external, but until you usher in and make way for the Prince of Peace to lift up those valleys, you're going to struggle to see peace external to you. And so sometimes we need to pause and speak tenderly to our heart. Did you know that the Holy Spirit, that grand counselor, he's in you as a believer? And there are times when you need to remember, I am not my sins. There's times in my discouragement when I'm so far down and I'm bitter to my, my family. But what needs to happen is I pause, take ownership of myself, take ownership of where I'm at, and I usher peace. I make way for the Prince of Peace in my day. I remind myself, Greg, you're in a valley, and it does not have to be so. But there's other times, right, where we're on a mountaintop, a hill, and that needs to be lowered. I wrote this down. There are times when there are uh, high mountains of pride where we are work, we are focused on work, merit, worth. And while we do that, we do not feel peace. Have you ever been there? You're struggling. You're pushing for that, that next promotion at the workplace. You're, you're pushing through it, and, and you are fixated on your plans, what you want what you want for today, what you want for tomorrow, and I think we can all own the fact that there's little peace to be had on the mountain. And so, as believers, we got to take recognition and make way for peace. Make way for peace. What this looks like, and Sanford even brought this up a couple weeks ago, what this looks like is that diligent time of pausing and saying, God, today I want to see you. Lord, today, speak and lower my heart. Lord, today, I want it for your glory. And I will tell you, you will never have peace outside of you if you don't lift the valleys, lower the mountains of your own heart. Does this make sense? But it continues because sometimes there's uneven grounds. Sometimes they need to become level. There are times when we are struggling with selfishness, biases, pride, where we are operating out of, out of worries and doubts. Did you know the Lord speaks comfort to you? Comfort. He says, hey, I, speak tenderly to my people. Let them know that their sins that they're struggling with are, are pardoned. Let them know that the warfare has a victory if they would lean on it. There are times I wrote this down and I want to get the words where obstacle after obstacle seems to arise in us and we choose to compromise, right? And we wonder why peace is absent. But we could pause and feel the goodness of the Lord saying, Greg, you've got to slow down. Usher in my peace instead of making, making your way seen. And so if peace is ever going to be external to me, it has to shine and, and flow through me. And so there are some uneven grounds. You see, we have to start seeing obstacles as not reasons to compromise, but as reasons to trust. And this is the beautiful thing that we get into this personally. Peace is made real.
And so, yeah, peace is a very personal thing because he's made an end for me, but it should also now flow through us. So we're going to end on this last half to talking about the fact that peace is very purposeful. Some of you, you will never experience the purpose you have in Christ if you don't pause and take ownership of where you are. We've talked about this often that the natural order of the world is to decay, right? Like entropy. Things just don't get better on their own. And we have to realize that as people who have been redeemed from Christ, redeemed by his blood, we now have the obligation to take ownership of our own lives, where we are, making sure that entropy, decay isn't taking root in us. So it's very personal, but then the moment we keep acting out in that, submitting, lowering the mountains, lifting up the valleys of our own life, we begin to realize how full of purpose we are. And this is the beautiful thing that historically when a king entered a city, and this is what I need you to realize, you can think through the Aladdin one. I mean, there's not normally an entourage like that. Um, I don't think... uh, uh, King David had all of that when, when he entered in a, in a city, all the singers, all that. But what happened historically is when a king entered a room, when a king entered a conversation, there was a messenger that went before to prepare the way for him. Now, let's, let's lean into this metaphor. This is what the, the messenger would do. He'd make sure that everyone was lined up to talk to the king who needed to talk to the king. He'd make sure that everyone would be introduced to the king in the way that they needed to be introduced. He made sure that the king had everything, the lodging, that the king uh, had a safe place to be, that it was going to be a place where the king would be heard, a place where the king would be seen, and he would prepare the way for the king. And then upon entry, he would make sure everyone's eyes were on that entrance. Now, the beautiful thing is that historically, this is the role that John the Baptist got to play. And we'll get into that more, but this is your job, my role as a believer. Now, now hear me when I say this, uh, as, as a man who's redeemed by peace, as a man who is who's radically changed, it is now my job, my ability, my honor to shine the Prince of Peace wherever I go. But listen, hear me when I say this, does Jesus need us to do this? Think about it. Is he the in, inflated ego king of the Old Testament who needs someone to show him his glory? No, but we do by his merit, have the beautiful honor of doing so. Jesus doesn't need me to go into a room and be like, hey, everyone, believe for him to be seen. But you and I have the opportunity to do so, to usher in the Prince of Peace wherever we go. And wherever we go, we cannot help but shine it. I wrote this down, as a man redeemed, my life now should shine the coming presence of Jesus. And if you want to take a note, you should write this down. My life, right? Make it very personal. My life now shines the coming presence of Jesus. When I walk into a room, I prepare the way whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. When I walk into the room, I prepare a way for people to see him. I prepare, I make way for people to see God. Now listen, obviously there are some wrong times in this because I, I too don't want that at times. I, I wanted to be a little bit honest and I wrote that whether I want it or not, and at times I don't want to make a difference. 
Did you hear that? Like, I'm a pastor. At times, I want to go into a place and not have to fix anything or, or that I feel convicted to fix. At times, I want to go into a place and just not help. Like, at times, I don't want to lean in. But the powerful thing that you and I have is when we get into a new context, we are the messenger of the Lord sent ahead of him to make sure that the room is ready to make sure that the people are ready to be introduced to him, to make sure that the, the, uh, the sound is ready, the feeling of the room is ready. That, that I think of like a, a very uh, celebrity figure who wants to make sure that there's water stocked in their pantry, in their, in their uh, room with all the snacks that they want. We make sure that the room is as fitting to him as he would desire. And I don't think of things like that. Like as I leave my bedroom do I prepare a way for the Lord while I'm making breakfast? Do I prepare a way for the Lord? When I'm eating with my children, do I prepare a way for the Lord? Because sometimes, now obviously there's a negative side of this. I wrote this down that sometimes people see a wrong version of Christ. Can you put that up? Sometimes they see a wrong version of Christ because of our ill vantage point. And I use that word again, vantage point, because sometimes I am in a valley of my own making and I'm showing people a very wrong, (laughs) a very wrong image of Jesus. Other times we are up in our pride, fixated on our plans and we shine a very wrong perception of Jesus. And we, this is why it's so personal. It has to shine and flow through us. There are times in my story when I've given people a very wrong version of Jesus because I've been in an uneven ground. I've responded to rough places and rough ways. But nevertheless, we shine the coming Jesus. The opposite is also true, and this is the hard part about being a believer. Other times, people will see the wrong version of Jesus. Can you put that one up? People will see the wrong version of Jesus because of their ill vantage point. Did you know that John the Baptist was beheaded? (laughs) Those on the mountain did not like this man saying that he knew the, G, the, the real Messiah. People up on the mountain did not like this. They, the Pharisees, their high religious leaders did not like. From their vantage point, they saw something else. And this is the reality of our world sometimes. As we engage purposefully sharing peace, some people will just, we have a bad taste Some people are in the valleys of their own despair and their response to us is theirs. It's not of our doing. And so we got to keep going. And this is the hard, we have to separate that. Now, now, it's when I pause and say, Jesus, are they seeing a wrong version of you because of where I am or because of where they are? If it's me, make way for peace to change that. But if it's them, give me patience to just keep going. And this is something we have to do if we were to, to notice that chaos owned plus uh, chaos known is what equals peace shown. We have to truly decide to know it. And nevertheless, nevertheless, it's our calling to step in and do that. So I have a, co- a question, a hard one for you. If you've missed any of this, sit in with me in this question. The question is this, on an average day, what do I prepare the way for? Think about this. In your home life, on an average day, what do you prepare the way for? If you're a believer in the room, I need you to hear this. What do you prepare the way for? What are you preparing people to see by how you're acting this morning? 
What are you preparing people to experience by your doubt? We've got to submit it. What are you preparing people to see? What are you preparing the way for? I wrote this down. What do I prepare my family to know when I operate in anger? What do you prepare people to know? What are you preparing people to experience, to feel? What are you preparing? If we make way for the Prince of Peace, then we got to guard what we're preparing people for. Because you are here in this room to usher in the Prince of Peace. And that's so crazy that he gives us this ability. But that means when I get in the car, I have to say, what am I preparing people for today? What am I preparing them for? Are they going to see a very ill-fitted Greg? Are they going to see a, a, a headstrong, very merited, worth task person? Uh, or are they going to see that I am a man who believes wholehearted that my merit, my worth, my work was paid for on the cross? Which one is going to rule me today? What am I preparing people to see? Jesus shows us that formula again, and I want you to read it again. You ready? Chaos known plus chaos owned is peace shown. That there are some people in the valleys of your life that need you to step in and speak comfort. They need you to stop your, I'll tell you, sometimes I have a hard time with people in the valleys when they like just stay there and stay there and just stay there. But to truly know chaos, you got to know it and engage with it. And so sometimes it means that you go there and you start owning that which you can own and you start praying for it. I mean, at the end of the day, what, where's our prayer life when people are in the valleys? Where's our prayer life when people are on the mountains? Where's our prayer life when our coworkers who are in uneven places and they're, they're ruled with their personal biasness? They, they're ruled with their, their inequalities in unjust ways. Goodness, we need the patience to know chaos, and to take ownership of it, even if it's just a prayer. I love this, that sometimes to take ownership is to just help people know their next step. Help them know what the next thing to do is. And this is what John the Baptist does. I have uh, some passages that I want to just read with you. Uh, It is Luke chapter 3. If you'll put it up, I don't know if I'll read all of these, but we'll work on some of them. All right, if you put that up, it says, uh, He said, this is John the Baptist, He said, therefore, to the crowds that came to be baptized uh, by him, He said, you brood of vipers, Guess who he's talking about here? The Pharisees. This is John the Baptist calling the Pharisees vipers. And he says, bear, you bear fruit, but bear fruits by repentance. What is he doing? He's showing them the right way. Now, do some of the Pharisees hear him? Maybe. But from the mountaintop, their vantage point is seeing the wrong thing. And it continues. Uh, if you want to go to the next slide, it says, the crowd started asking him, all right, John, what do we do? And he answers them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do the likewise. You see, this is very tangibly a man who got that chaos known plus chaos owned equals peace shown. And he knew very, very intimately that when they have questions, I'm going to teach them very practically. You see a problem This person doesn't have tunic, you give them the tunic. And so this is what we do as we make way for the Prince of Peace because he's already speaking what peace looks like. And then when Jesus is gonna come later in the gospels, it's gonna connect 
quickly. In fact, the tax collectors, many people think that, uh, you know, little uh, Zacchaeus who climbed the tree and from the tree he saw Jesus, you know that story? Small little Zacchaeus tax collector, any head shaking? Cool. Uh, You don't know. It's okay. Most theologians think that Zacchaeus was introduced to the gospel right here, that he was one of those, it says, the tax collectors came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall I do? And he said, collect no more than you're authorized to do. You see, many people think that John was already planning the way for people to see Jesus, already teaching the truths that would be transformative to live by, already saying, don't extort the money, already showing like this is what peace looks like to truly know chaos, see the bigger picture so that when Jesus is coming, you will see him, not your arrogance, but him. Not your fears, but him. And so as we end this morning, I want to remind you that there is no purpose with peace if it doesn't shine through us first. If we don't experience it first. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.